I don't remember doing mocks. Mocks this early? I thought they were all done in like January, February, aren't they? Yeah, that was O levels. So that was six. That was that was two hundred years ago. <laughs> hey, I remember. I remember. You said about O levels. I did. A, I was the first one, right, my year, to do a mixture of O levels, CSEs, and the sixteen plus. And the sixteen CSEs, plus. What was hold on? What was CSEs? What was that? CSEs were for? like one. But they were like they were below O level, weren't they? So a CSE, if you got a grade one CSE, that was equivalent to a C at O level. Right. Right. So people did CSEs or O-levels. But the year I was 16, you did, there was a mixture of O-levels, CSEs, and this new thing called the 16 plus, which I think lasted, of course, I'm going to get this wrong because we get everything pretty much wrong, don't we? I think that's it for two years. And that was the forerunner of the GCSE. Yeah. There you go. 16 plus. So I think I've got a couple of 16 pluses. <laughs> Somewhere in a drawer. Somewhere, somewhere was the in a box. Time. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, well, it's funny, isn't it? Because obviously, uh, this week wasn't King's speech yesterday, uh, first one in seventy years, and uh, he talked about this latest ridiculous idea from Sunak. The was it the advanced British standard? So just throw in throw in the word standard because that will make it sound good. Um. Even though it, it doesn't really mean it doesn't really mean standard, does it? Um, well, I don't think it means he, he wanted to mean something else because they were starting to talk about there's advanced British qualification, but standard seems to have stuck, and that's just the latest the latest idea to uh, to reform um, sixteen yeah. plus education in England. Just the latest one. It's quite hilarious. Not that any of it's going to make a difference because they'll be out of office in twelve months anyway, and uh, and it'll just go into the bin like everything else. Empty words at the minute, isn't it? <laughs> hmm. So I should say, you are listening uh, to For the Love of Pog, a podcast mainly about cycling and not about 14 to 19 reform uh, of the English education system. Uh, I am here. Hooray. Loz is here. Hooray. <laughs> Stu is here. Hooray. Hey. Andy is not here. Late, late, late bail. Late now, in a change bail. of usual proceedings, I'm going to say something we, we, we plan, that we are planning to talk about. So we're planning to talk about, I think, the Giro and Tour routes, although it seems a long time ago since they were announced. But let's start, right? Let's start with something that could either be massive or end up being a bit of a damp squib. And that's this: the news of the, the Saudi Arabia's public investment fund being linked to a wholesale restructure, they say, of the European racing calendar, a sort of Champions League-style format. Now, the proposal, currently only for men's racing, this is to create a season-long league of prestige events. And it's been put forward by a new organisation called One Cycling, driven by Richard Pluger, I think it is, from the Jumbo Visma, and Zedanik Bakala, owner of Sudal Quickstep. Quickstep. Other teams interested are Ineos Grenadier Guards and EF Education Easy Peasy Post. They're, uh, they're <laughs> supposed to be, they are understood to be supportive of the proposal. UCI, apparently they're warm, but ASO, who obviously run the Tour de France and lots of other races, they, they declined to comment. And uh, this will be the latest foray into sport by the Saudi Public Investment Fund. 30 sports now, apparently, they're involved with. And most recently, obviously, Saudi Arabia has been awarded the World Cup 2034. 
So what should we make or what do we make of this idea? What I'm going to call Saudi Arabia's cycling circus. That was, a, that was like a professional intro. And I'm, I'm glad you went through it because I'd completely forgot about that point And I hadn't, I hadn't revised for my mocks. Which, which point? I hadn't, done, I hadn't revised for my mocks to, to get up to speed for this. And now I'm looking at the paper and panicking like crazy about the multiple choice. Yeah. Uh, what do we think, though? What do we think about this? Uh, I mean, this has been mooted before, hasn't it? They're always, you know, looking to change things. But what do we think about this latest one, especially obviously being backed by or potentially backed, as is rumoured, by by the Saudi by Saudi Arabia? No, I think uh, I think. It's really difficult one. Is is it the same as golf? And I'm not I'm not sure it is, but I think ASO has got such a stranglehold on the sport of cycling and, and the dominance of the Tour de France and kind of keeping keeping it all in, in its in its regular box. And and therefore part of you is like, well, yeah, maybe that needs to be maybe that needs to be broken up. But but then broken up in this way just just feels like it's another big thing, another big kind of it just doesn't feel right and i'm not sure why it doesn't feel right because it, it, you don't want to be what's the word i don't know it just doesn't it just doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel like it's going to improve cycling that, that feels like it needs to be improved and i'm not sure this does it really um and the whole sports washing thing it, it, it's an easy to say term but it just that, that's the, the, the ultimate feeling isn't it it's like there's something here where it's, it's so much money pouring in for a very particular purpose Mm. I think it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's naturally growing out of something. It doesn't feel like it's it's being designed to really think about the calendar. Is it really designed to be thinking about audiences and the supporter and the viewer? I'm not sure it is. Is it? Stu, what do you think? Well, it's all about money. Let's be obvious. It's clearly all about money. I'm not even sure that Saudi Arabia's got any close connection with, with cycling. As far as I'm concerned, they just drive massive, big, four-litre cars around there at like 80 miles an hour. And I can't imagine anyone gets on a bike in Saudi Arabia. I may be wrong, I've not been there. But there's no connection there to to, uh, to cycling. But this brings into me a, a broader question about who owns sport in general and why does somebody own it? You know, it's a bit like the way FIFA's behaved recently, trying to get more games or more fixtures. It's all about making more money. And I don't see why one company, person or, or country should have that ownership. Find it a bit odd, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think that does sort of centralise it into one part, isn't it? I mean, they've thirty sports, and they've uh, they bought Newcastle, didn't they? That's all. That's all part of it as well. So into football, also they have got the Saudi Arabian League now, which is buying up players from all over the world and managers. They are really controlling quite a lot of of major international international sport, and it's. I mean, golf golf has always tore itself apart, didn't it? Over live golf, and I think that's why it feels wrong is because it's not like they're slowly trying to grow this it's just it's it's just instant it's it's like let's let's have this now what was the stat the other day how many people went to watch Steven Gerrard's team with with uh, uh, Henderson a home game the other day 689 people what 689 people watched that game hold on 608 you get more at Dulwich Hamlet Six hundred, yeah, and, and that's you know, obviously we're not known for our facts, <laughs> so I should check it. But that was the stat that that's I read. Brilliant stat. That is a brilliant stat. Even if that was six thousand eight hundred, well, yeah, exactly, it would exactly, it would still be exactly. rubbish, wouldn't it? So, 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 where are we at with this? It's like you and, and the, the argument of like, well, who? Okay, to, to your points, to who owns sports? Well, why can't 
another country dominating the market. But it's like it's it's bang, it's instant. It's like I'm, we're just going to buy it, and that just just feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? it just feels wrong. It does. I mean, you, you could argue the other way with it, you know the French cycling and French air so and kind of trying to hold on to this history and show the lineage and all that kind of stuff. That gets a bit tedious, but but at least it's it's a hundred years of sport and there's a lot of story, you know. <laughs> Well, I think heritage and brand, that is it, isn't it? You sort of, you try, you change that at your peril, really, because that's that's the basis on which people have, have you know, come to love cycling over the years. Do you remember when Brailsford first took over, well, Sky, wasn't it, at the time? And the, he was talking about, um, you know, cycling needs a, a narrative, a story across the season so so new fans can engage with it. It kind of feels a bit like that to me. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, I started listening and uh, listening about about cycling and watching a lot more. Thinking, oh, I can kind of understand that. I don't really get it. I don't really get you know the races at the start of the season, then the Grand Tours and all that sort of thing. But I understand the ry- the rhythm of it now. You know, from on loop in the in the spring to Lombardia in the in the autumn, I kind of get it and all, all everything that goes in between. So I think I now understand it, and I now think leave it alone because I now get it. I I I decided to try and understand it and now that I do I kind of understand the rhythm of it and I uh, I, I don't understand what problem it's trying to fix really I mean Stu said there about ownership I think that's the interesting thing with cycling isn't it because do fans have an affinity with the teams so it's like the whole sport rather than clubs in the way that you know with, with its football it's sort of a it's an odd one really and then obviously ASO own the big races so which which are sort of governed by UCI rules, so no one is really what what would actually what would they be buying, because they're not might not be buying the crown jewels if they can't buy the Tour de France, why would they even bother doing it? Well, they're buying the riders, aren't they? Buying the teams. And the the reality is, is, though, you know, ASO they you right they do own the crown jewels, but let's be honest, there's only really really one crown jewel in cycling, because unless you're a cycling enthusiast, as you two are, you know. You're not going to watch all these races. You're, you're just going to watch the, the Tour de France is going to bring in brings in all the audience. Of course it does. Yeah. So I don't understand, and and it's not as as, as many times before. It's not just about the racing. It's about the whole package. It's seeing the country. It's the history. It's cycling through the vineyards. It's all that sort of stuff that goes with it. You know, it really is unique and special. I don't see how you're going to recreate that in uh, in in Saudi Arabia, but. As with all other sports, they will throw money at it and people will go. You know, the fact that Steven Gerrard's gone over there for God knows how much money and Henderson and all the other players getting paid an absolute fortune, it's their, not that they need it, it's their, it's their pension plus their grandkids' pension. It's their great-grandkids' pension. It's, it's them setting themselves up in the race for life. That's why they're doing it. They're not doing it really for the sport. They're doing it for the cash. So cyclists will follow, no question about it. They're getting paid 10, 20, 30 million quid. What they will do, I don't know. Who's going to watch it? I don't know. Don't see how it's going to work. But, you know, don't see how the football's going to work. I love your stats. 689 uh, people are going to watch the uh, the game. It's not there. It's not part of the history of the culture. Dulwich Hamlets, they'll get 689 people out every week on a Sunday or Saturday in the rain. But they'll do, it's, the, it's the TV rights, isn't it, though? That's the, it's, the, it's all packaged up. I mean, people may watch it on television. But I also think that's going a little bit, you know, it's going a little bit too far. Have we got time to watch all of these sports? Have we got time? And do you want to support them as well? You know. I suppose it they- depends how mm-hmm. they're going to present this, isn't it? I suppose if it's a streamlined, 
you know, set of, like I say, set of prestige races all based around a particular time frame, just making it tighter. I suppose their argument would be it would allow you to watch it in a in a in a better way. And yeah, I mean, people may still be able to go to to, to the road, roadside and watch it, but I suppose they think they're cutting away all the all the crap and leaving leaving the best bits. That would be their argument. And of course, every race will make the case that it's been around for X number of years and it should stay on the calendar. I mean, I was thinking this week we lost we potentially could lose the Tour of Britain, couldn't we? That was announced this week. They're seven hundred thousand pounds in debt. It's in peril. We, so we missed it. We missed a year, didn't we? We missed. We a, mi- missed a year. Missed a year no. to come back, but now it might not come back. Is that what you're saying? No, that was tour, that. No, the tour. No, tour of Britain's always got, didn't have a sponsor this year, apparently. Oh, that, yeah, but so the tour of Britain's been going for however many years, and it was called the Prudential Tour before that, and the Milk Race, Women's Tour. You know, they invested loads of money in that. As they called it, the Women's Tour. They didn't sort of the Women's Tour of Britain. That's gone now. That lasted. I'm going to get this wrong. Seven or eight years. Mm. Um, at a time when the women's sport is growing. Yeah, that's it. And mm. on the up, and you think the Tour of Britain as well, It's if why can't it get a sponsor? I mean, it can't get a sponsor. And maybe it is, Stu, because it is being skewed by these huge investments from certain countries or certain, you know, certain brands. And it's it's mopping things up. And like you said, Loz, earlier, you know, it's just... Um, I've forgotten what you said now. You said something really important about this, Bob. Just buying it up, just with no, just buying up anything, really. Just, just yeah. taking it for what they can. And, and you can see from a sponsorship point of view, you know, that cycling is a, is a weird, weird thing where you know you can have the biggest team in in the sport at the moment, Jumbo Visma, almost going bankrupt this season when they dominated and won the biggest race in the world, and well, won all three Grand Tours, and yet. They can't, no one is willing to come in. So how, how does that work? You know, if it's supposed to be a global sport, how on earth does that work? Something is wrong with the whole structure. And, and is, I don't, I'm, I've no, I have no idea what the answer is. You know, what, what is the answer for this? Because it's like, it's on its, it's on its knees. It's time, you, you don't really form bonds over teams because teams change all the time. You have to, you have cyclists who come on board for a couple of years and disappear it's it's very transitory, so it's like it's uh, that's the side of it I've always struggled with. I, the races, the races are the stars, if if anything, because they're the calendar markers. Um, they're the things that kind of are fixed in stone. But but the rest of it is so on its on a knife edge of whether it will survive or not. Yeah, it is, does, isn't it? it? Does this help it? I have no idea. Yeah. And it, it's a, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that Jumbo Visma um, is being plugged by Pluger. It's, he's the one who's pushing for it, and like you say, the most successful team. Seemingly looking to do. I mean, what happened to that merger um, idea? Is that is that went does, away? Does this now exactly? Is it got it seems to have gone away? And I was always um, actually I was talking to Andy about this last week. Uh, cycling does fascinate me in that it's this global sport, which is huge, uh, big in many countries, but but also but you know they're in uh, televised to lots of countries around the world, but dominated by local sponsors. <laughs> Either you know plumbing. floor floor companies, plumbing, or you know window window manufacturers, obscure window manufacturers <laughs> in Belgium or Holland, or small Japan, uh, Japanese um, Dutch supermarkets. Well, it, it, isn't that <laughs> yeah. what isn't that what's going to happen? Is that the professionalized bit of the sport just almost goes off on its own, and you'll still have Belgium being Belgium and that being a, a cycling nation that will just have its races and do its own thing and, and continue to have beer and flooring companies sponsor small races. 
and then you have the champions the promotion to the Champions League and um, or, or not even that Indi- races. individual races will then just get poached and just like like it kind of is now but just on a on a even diff- more different scale I don't know I don't know how it whether it just breaks well, it we mean completely. like a like a like a cricket centralized contracts kind of thing maybe 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 um, yeah. yeah I mean they've tried this they've tried this Champions League with the with the track haven't they and I must admit I haven't really I've watched a, a single race kind of passed I, me by I, I when it first happened i was talking to a friend about this uh only only yesterday off the back of the olympics and the 2012 olympics at london we went to the velodrome the new velodrome quite a few times and it was a really great atmosphere and it was quite exciting and you had the big stars there because they're all off the back of you know britain was riding high in that that version of the sport and we would go and it would feel atmospheric and we take our young kids along and then we sort of stopped doing it because it it just it just disappeared. It just fell out. For, and then they tried to invig, invigorate it with this new Champions League of it. And I, I just didn't see the interest. Plus, it's fifty seven quid to go to the, to go and watch it at the velodrome. That's fifty seven quid, and I don't. It's is the entertainment isn't there for that. It really isn't. God, has it gone up that much? That's a lot of money. Well, I'm all up there. <laughs> but my mate said that. My mate said, my mate said that. I'm getting, that's a secondary source I'm getting the 57. But I think I did look and then I was like, oh, for God's sake, I'm not paying that. I that's went true. to some of the World Championship events in, I don't know, 2014, was it? And uh, I, don't, I mean, it was nowhere near that, but that's extraordinary if that's the case. That's, uh, I'd think twice. Well, I've thought twice about it. In fact, I haven't thought twice. I've thought once and I'm not going to do it. So it's, yeah, it's too expensive. Well, I'm all I'm all up for sports being improved and evolving, but sometimes the intention's there, but it doesn't work. If you look at, you know, take a look at I don't know, is it is it rugby, whereby years ago you had simple divisions in Wales, England, Scotland, and then they've recreated it all now with different leagues, different, and you can't you can't keep up to the point where I've just completely switched off from it. I don't get it, you know. But also to your point, Lars. They want the money back, so they will. If, if it starts becoming successful, that's when they'll start charging the fans. You know, it'll be pay per view, as you say, it's fifty seven quid, all that stuff, and it just it just becomes unaffordable, and there's too much competition. You know, as I say, these sports are competing with Netflix, competing with BBC Radio Six Music. They're competing with everything now for your attention. It's all the same. It's all content. So, you know, if it gets too much people will switch off or they won't pay for it. So you've got to be careful about that. It's going to have to be good and it's going to have to be, I think, an improvement on what we've got. I don't really understand what this, they're creating this season-long league of events. How long is that season? Is it a year? Is it, you know, is it over a quarter of six, six months? And what are these events they're going to be doing? What, what's going to be different and better about them? Do, do, do we know if it's in the whole live tour thing? Has it has it improved golf either attendance or viewing figures? We obviously well, don't hope those facts, <laughs> but uh, you know, has it? Oh, 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 my impression is from that. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, of course. Um, <laughs> of course, of course I don't know that. I don't know that. But it it threatened, didn't it, to rip golf apart because mm. I think on broadly you had you know obviously lots of players taking ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, hundred million dollars plus, just a lot of money just to sign to the Live Tour. And then I think it was the two, you know, uh, Tiger Woods and 
Rory McIlroy, sort of big heavyweights, sort of saying no, this is this is wrong, and a few others, obviously, that sort of stayed stayed away. But I think they've reached an agreement, haven't they, to now work together? They so to, they re- yeah, yeah they, they realised that it was just ripping the sport apart. So. Yeah, they had to because I think the other was it. The, I don't know what it is. The, was it the PGA? I don't know. Whatever, whoever had the other rights, whatever, well, they knew if they didn't get in bed with them that they were going to be taken down. So we were talking then about the tour, obviously, and uh, in the last few weeks, we've had the route reveals for both the Giro and the tour next year. And obviously it causes, uh, for some people, it causes this huge amount of interest and everyone pours all over it and talks about how many metres of climbing there are and which climbs on there and which ones aren't on there and blah, blah, blah. Who's, who's, what sort of route is it for? I just want to check with you both. Um, do you care? Because I, I must admit, I never, ever look at where the roots are. I, it doesn't bother, doesn't really matter to me uh, what's in each stage. So, so, so tour reveals, do we, uh, do we care? I think you've got to be really, really into it to kind of worry, think about it, because then you're thinking about how, how the race might unfold and all that kind of stuff. I think I look, looking at it this time, I, I always look to see about, with the Tour de France more than anything else, what part of country does it cover? Just And it's always very intriguing to see how much of France they miss or, you know, where it's sort of concentrated uh, or what route round they're going into, you know, is it going left to right, anti-clockwise or clockwise, you know, is it going to the Alps first versus the Pyrenees and all that kind of stuff. But that's, a, that's it's very general. I never look at individual stages and think, oh, that's the one that's going to be killer. This year though, I suppose this year, we did look at it because of where it finishes because it will be different. And, and that final individual time trial, which I think is just a nonsense. I hate the idea of an individual time trial to finish off a grand tour. Yeah, yeah I agree with that, Lars. I, you know, I used to look at it to see whether it's going near my mother-in-law's house. That's what I used to do, yes. Yeah, and go, oh, right. And then, of course, it did one Well, could year. I get there? Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, could I get there? No, because it was always during, you know, school time. But then the mother-in-law found out about it and went, oh, yeah, I'll definitely be there for that. So she, you know, she bagsied it, which is fair enough. But, um, yeah, it's a bit sort of this... This this uh, this next tour is a little bit. It's a bit on the right and south, isn't it? There's nothing in the uh, yeah. the north or the west, and um, yeah, like you, Lars, I don't really look at the. Um, I, I get into it when I'm watching it. You get into the uh, into the stages and seeing you know, what they're going to be like, but I don't get into them before you know six months before once it's been announced. I'm not I'm not that bonkers about it. But I agree with you. I, I think the um, the time trial at the end is a bit different. It's a bit odd. I'm not sure how it's going to go down. I just think it's meaningless for, as I said, 90, 99% of the of the peloton. You know, what they're looking to do when you don't know, when you're going to come 150, 112th versus 111th. But I suppose what it does do is it does take it to the final day. They did it in the Giro, didn't they, when uh, Carapaz won. Uh, and Carapaz won with his individual time. And actually when... Um, well, this year with Pog, with Rog. It was a penultimate stage, actually, wasn't but it? Actually, well, well actually, that was penultimate stage. It wasn't it the was, final stage, but was it? they've done it twice actually because they did it with when Carapaz won, and they did it with um, Aussie. Te- no, they did it with uh, Teo Bakelton. Did Teo he finish Bakel-Tart? on a time trial? That was it. Wasn't Ca- Carapaz? I don't think Carapaz was no, Carapaz, the final time. Carapaz, yeah, he did because they, they came into the uh, in Verona. It came into. Oh, that's the, right. Um, well, when, Bak- when Bakelton won it, because he was up against uh, Jay. Yeah, but then Hindley. Jay Vine, Jay, Jay Hindley Jay then Hindley. also won it on a time trial finish. Oh, maybe the Giro's done it a lot in the last few years then. 
Because I think they like that amphitheater, whatever venue it is when they come in. Is it always in Verona and they have the red carpet, the pink carpet bit and they come through and they finish at that point? Okay. I think you take a massive risk, don't you? You take a massive risk in sort of, you know, the, the story of the of the tour or the Giro and you think, okay, we will try and design this so that it comes down to the final day and you've got the two or three GC leaders within, within a, minute a minute of each other. Yeah. It's a hell of, it is a hell of a risk because it could definitely be a damp squib. I mean, I remember when, when Terra won, it was a... It was a little bit of jeopardy, but not that much, really. But I suppose it does put the pressure on those GC riders to really go for it in the two or three days before. So you you are sort of guaranteed exciting racing there, aren't you, really? So it's they're trying to have it both ways, I, I guess. I always think it just doesn't feel that satisfactory to sort of not have a sprint finish at the end. I know that you know, it has no effect on the GC, but it becomes another race. So I just I think on balance, I prefer to have a sprint finish than a um, a time trial. Although the women's tour, the the, the Tour de France next year, fin- again finishes atop a mountain. It's a mountain top finish, and I I don't think the Tour de France has ever done that for the men's race, which could be quite exciting, couldn't it? Just you know having a slow motion uh, finish. Yeah, I mean I'm sure it has done, but I can't remember in recent years it finishing. I mean, I think logistically it's because it always because it, well, it always finishes in Paris. That's the point, isn't it? I mean, they could have tried to do something different this year with it. Actually, do you think they're being quite strategic about it and thinking, you know, with the riders that they've got and the teams that they got, <laughs> possibly not. That is going to be close. They're looking for that, you know, final stage. Who's going to win? There's only like you know, fifteen twenty seconds between two riders. Don't know. I think if you think about who they're trying to attract, aren't they? They're trying to attract the four. So they're trying to get Rog, Pog, Avenapol, and Vinny. And uh, Ming the Merciless. Yes. Did you see that? You know, we we in previous episodes, we thought that maybe we were being a bit unfair to Avenapol to call him the Belgian bellyacher. And he's now done a bit of belly aching about this. Oh, has he? I've missed it. What, 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 what? He talks about uh, the gravel stage. There's a gravel stage in there. Uh, and he said it had no place in, uh, you know, in a ground oh, tour. Just ride your bike. Do in yourself. which case, you could say time trials. I never took. I know we just just get on with it. Um, but that would be something, wouldn't it? To have a have a, a final day time trial where you've got Ming, who is maybe thirty seconds ahead, and you've got Pog and Evenepoel, um, and and Roglic. You know, you could see how they're they're trying to set it up. Although there's talk now, isn't there, of, uh, of Pog, where they're trying to entice Pog to do the double, the double, Giro and, and the Tour. Yeah, and we're saying all this now, and in seven, eight, nine months' time, it will be talking about the greatest ever Tour de France, <laughs> when they were within 20 seconds of each other going into the last day. We nearly wet ourselves watching the, the, the we thing. We have we're to have a Screaming at the telly, and we're saying, this must be how it finishes every year. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Almost oh, guaranteed. Oh, Christian, you're a genius. <laughs> which stage are we going to go to then? Uh, well, you're scheduling. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Come on. Where's the plan? What have you, what have you identified? Well, we all agree. It. It's going to be a, a mountain stage, isn't it? <laughs> but have we decided it's definitely the tour then? No, we didn't. We didn't definitely decide ah, it was the tour. Okay. Right. So no, that's still I'll, TBC. I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and look at the data. <laughs> I think we need to make some sort of commitment now. We've got no further with uh, cyclocross in Belgium at Christmas. So, (laughs) busy time. So, does does anyone have any uh, anyone have any AOB? Yeah, I have some AOB. (laughs) Stu, 
Give us your AOB. Go for it. Well, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this or not. It was about the London uh, London Cycling um, Report, the organisation report about dangerous junctions in London. Have you seen that? I did see. I, I saw that. I, I saw it. I haven't delved into the story. I've missed this. Well, tell, me yeah. the, tell me the news. Tell me what is this. Well, the uh, the most dangerous junction is down the road from my house in Tooting. It's a rat runner, and it's basically you've got cars coming out onto a big major you know, cycle superhighway. And a lot of cyclists have been hit there. And they've plotted all these different danger spots. Another one where I, two, in fact, three out of the top ten, I used to cycle regularly. One by Knightsbridge. Um, I know that uh, one. Yeah. yeah. Sloan Street to Knightsbridge. It, for me, it's always been the most dangerous place to cycle in London. You've got loads of tourists, loads of pedestrians. You've got three, you've got three lanes of traffic either side. Um, and I know someone who, unfortunately, I remember a cyclist being killed there a few years ago. Awful. Um, Battersea by the roundabout, the park, you know, on, I think it's Queenstown Road there. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah. They changed the whole layout there. They've got cycle lanes on the roundabout, there are traffic lights. But, but yeah, the but, most dangerous place is Tooting. Is um, the Bow Island, is that not on there, is it? Is it? That used to be a very, very bad one. I'm not sure. They're all over the place. I I, uh, I feel like a live report's coming on next time from just down the road from where Stu lives on the well, junction yeah. there. But to be honest, I've walked past that and cycled that that spot countless times, um, but never experienced it. Thank God, anything anything dodgy. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's there. It's a rat run. Bizarrely enough, I was I was taking the kids to school today on one of these rat run streets, and I saw a dead rat on the pavement. So it no was. More, it was a no more running. It's it running. What's it running? But maybe a cyclist got the rat. It was, I don't know. It was a, on the roads. So they ran on the pavement, and they're causing a danger to the rats. Not even the rats are safe. No. That rat has run his last run. Oh yeah. goodness me! So, but do you use? Do you avoid that junction? How do no. you, How do you? Oh, you don't avoid it. But do you always think this is a bit dodgy? This junction. This is not good. Well, you get people edging out. They're edging out, aren't they? Trying to get onto that main road or cross over. So you do see that. I hold my line, though. But, the, yeah, the worst place I've ever been is definitely, no question about it, was Knightsbridge. Just going from Sloan Street into Knightsbridge, you just felt like you were a target there. Anyway, they've, yeah. they've launched a plan, you know, with you know recommendations about what government um, planning, all sorts needs to do. But um, it's quite interesting. Well, I look forward. I look forward to those being completed over the next twenty-five years. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll come back. <laughs> you'd think, wouldn't you, with with cycling infrastructure, they'd they'd address those first, wouldn't you? That would be the first thing to do. Just just sort out the really bad junctions, so, and then worry about the other stuff. Really. So, is this? Well, I want to know because I, I feel cycling's got worse in London, and ever since I moved here, I've always probably probably always cycled, and probably more so in the last sort of 15, 20 years, but definitely always cycled. But I listened to another cycling podcast, which is based in America, and they were literally saying this week a similar thing, that they're all based in different parts of America, but all of them had stories of, you know, whether they're getting older, and this other cycling podcast has the younger kind of, used to be cycling couriers, and they've, they've now all got kids, they've all got a bit older. Now, are they getting more aware because they're taking their kids on bikes and all that kind of stuff? But it seemed to be they were all saying the same thing, that the dangers on the roads were getting even more, even worse. So, so is, what is that? What is, is that just a global thing in terms of cycling infrastructure in certain parts of the Western world are just not going well? Or, or what? I mean, America's got its own different things, but for people who normally would cycle, 
are saying that it seems to be getting worse. What is that? I, I guess it's just there's literally more cars on the road, more and more cars. And uh, the, the site, the, the changes to the infrastructure can't can't cope, can't change quickly enough to cope with that. And if we do have new infrastructure, I mean, I'm speculating here, same in the state, it might prioritise cars over other forms of transport. So you end up having having infrastructure for cars, which are even worse for for cycling mm. and pedestrians. Really, I, I guess it's just well, sheer it doesn't, volume of traffic. I would think it doesn't help when you've got the UK government. I don't know the prioritising cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that certainly seems to be the case. But do you remember? Uh, it must have been what six, six, seven years ago. There was tons of deaths in London, and they had police at all the main junctions, and they. And the, all the pl- uh, police at all the cycle boxes, and if you if you went over the line, the pl- a policeman would be there saying, "Get back into the box." And they were they were standing there, all these key junctions in London. Do you remember that? It was about six. Do you remember telling that? cyclists, yeah. telling cyclists, telling cyclists well, and yeah. also telling motorists if motorists entered the cycle box, they'd oh, get don't get me started on that flipping. Yeah, it. but if worse. cyclists went over and they were out of the box, they would get called back and, and pushed back, and they were really clamping down on cyclists jumping lights, but also. You know any 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 motorists and people driving cars and trucks, you know, behaving too, and they had tons of police because I think there was a a, a death a week at one point. It was, right. it was crazy, and that's all. Who, who was mayor of London at that point? Was that a, was that a uh, Boris? I think it was when John. Was I think it was when Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson, yeah, yeah. Now that obviously seems like a long time ago now. I think it's a number of things. As you say it's it's people people got other priorities now. You know, since COVID, cyclists got off. But also you've got the it's little things that people don't notice, like the uptake of more people driving the Chelsea tractor or the four by four. Statistically they're proving to actually, you know, be more dangerous. Dangerous in terms of if you do hit someone, you're gonna get you're gonna get more more injured. But also you're more likely to hit people as well because they're bigger cars. People feel more indestructible in them and therefore feel a bit more drive in a different different way. I'm going to make a very generalised sweeping statement and we're just living in a much more selfish society. And there's that too. I think selfish society in selfish times, yeah. I think there's a a huge amount of that. People being just more or less patient, more impatient and uh, and not giving people due care and attention. That Where I cycle, this is a a gradual hill um, down from Peckham up to, to where I live. Lodging it well, it's a little drag. It's about one percent, maybe. And some cyclists go up very slowly. They are going to put a cycle lane in. They're consulting on that now. Oh, are they? Yeah, it's a very, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's alongside of Peckham Rye, and it's very difficult for for not difficult for cars. You have to be patient. You can't rush it because the road gets squeezed. So you can't just sort of weave in and out because it because it becomes even more dangerous for cyclists. And I must admit, I've driven up there slowly, and you get people hooting behind you. And you think, mm-hmm. who are you? Who would what? Uh, no, I'm. And I'm, wait, I'm and literally it, waiting for my turn to overtake. And it's him. twenty miles an hour anyway. It's twenty so you miles really an hour. Aren't anyway. going that fast up that hill, regardless. And then your worst thing is you've got double decker bus going up that hill, who then pull in mm-hmm. front of you because they get irate and stop literally in front. I've had that. I had it this week where the double decker bus was got impatient, overtook me, and then within fifty yards turned in. I mean that that is right for a cycling route. It is being well. They said it's going to go ahead. They were consulting on on how to do it. I just think get on with it. Just get on with it. It's so obvious that a route's needed there. It is. You get a lot of cyclists there, morning and night during the rush hours, and it's it's uh, it's a classic bit of road that should have a cycle lane down. It's got, it's got, it's got, right it's got school at the top of the top of the hill. 
got school kids all over the place. Every morning. Just I, for the buses. I mean, if it, it, it would help drivers. It helps drivers if you have better cycle infrastructure. We talked about this so many times before. It doesn't just help the cyclists. It helps everybody um, because they know they're not going to come into contact with very slow-moving traffic or weaving traffic or traffic that doesn't have good lights on or, you know, aren't cycling that great, all of that sort of but stuff. It's also, but it seems it's not, it's not just the cycle lane. It's the state of the roads. I mean, that road in particular is awful. And so you've got cyclists going up there slowly and having to weave in and out of potholes constantly. So it, it does make it pretty pretty bad all round. I suspect yeah. the LTNs of, 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 you know, of, you know, without them meaning to do this, have probably made it worse as well because they've blocked loads of roads off from, you know, right turns, left turns, or the one way, which means drivers are getting stuck in traffic and therefore getting more frustrated. I think might be a bit of that. I mean, obviously, the LTNs have, have improved certain routes. I mean, I can, you know, take the kids to cycle to the to, to Sainsbury's in a, in a quite glorious way, actually. It's really, it's really helped for that. So you, can't, you can do the proper back routes. I mean, it's kind of what the LTNs are doing. They are forcing the cars onto roads so that because drivers sit in traffic, that will hopefully change their behaviour. I mean, that is a, meant to be a byproduct of, byproduct of it. It'll take a while to kick in, people th- getting out of the cars for that reason. I, I'm still amazed. Now I've got rid of my car. You know, I'm two weeks in. I, I started looking at how many cars drive by with just one person in, and it's probably about half. Half the cars you see have just got one person in. I say more than that. Uh, I've got a bit of it. Have you got any A and B losses? I just have an A. No, but I think Stu should give us in the next pod give us a full report of his uh, life without a car. I will. Yeah, life without a car, and maybe life without a car live from the of London's most dangerous cycling junction. <laughs> I might do it. We should dedicate a whole Mixed episode Mixed in with that. Rat Watch. <laughs> Rat Watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a bit of an A or B, a bit of a sad bit of A or B, actually, because yet another cycling brand has uh, has bitten the dust. So this is uh, Shropshire cycle manufacturer Isla Bikes, set to close after almost two decades of trading. So I feel really sad about this, actually. This is... um. Isla Bikes formed in 2005 by British cyclocross, cyclocross champion Isla Roundtree. And she's best known for creating kids' bikes. I mean, they used to make all sorts of bikes, adult bikes, and all, all sort of, you know, uh, gravel and cyclocross and, and road bikes. But she made fantastic kids' bikes, proper bikes in miniature, lightweight, great um, components. <laughs> I was going to call them brakes, brakes and gears and things like that. And I've. Um, We've had three of them. There were the kids, uh, kids' first bike, the little, uh, little fourteen wheel, uh, inch wheel one. Uh, I've had a sort of mid-sized one and a road bike as well. Ruben had a road bike, and they're proper bikes in miniature. Great quality, amazing customer service. Could only buy them online. Brilliant customer service. You needed spare parts, they deliver the next day for free. I just think it's really sad that a brand this good, we're making the product this good can't survive now they're not they're not sort of going under with you know with debts and things they're just stopped trading they've decided to call it a day so we've had we've had wiggle going into administration we've had we talked about Velarusian, which is a london obviously a london-based brand but a great bike shop going and now isla bikes and i think this is the worst of the lot i feel really well, sad about it yeah i do feel sad and same as you my kids grew up on them so there'll be a, there'll be a fond memory of them and and they were they were brilliant as you say absolutely brilliant bikes transformative and every time you, your kid was on one and yes they were a bit pricey but you they were such a good investment um and you did feel good when you passed them on because they they, they held the, the their their quality 
And every time you saw someone on a, on another bike and a kid, on another bike, who was struggling along and you just, you know, and it was such a difference to see kids on other bikes because it allowed them to learn on a, a, a lightweight, good quality machine. Yeah. And yeah, but it's a shame. However, is there are a lot more versions now frog you know in that in the time that isle of bikes came along and then since then there is an explosion of kids bikes that were all good quality so whilst it's sad to see it go is it just because now there is just a lot more competition well for, it's a very good point market? isn't it i mean no no brand you know deserves to exist forever just for the sake of it and maybe you know isla roundtree did an amazing job they've made money out of it she's made her money and she's changed the nature of kids' bikes. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, the lots of the the big brands have copied that idea, and there's some new entrants to the market. And maybe that's what it is. And you know, a lot of companies would struggle on, or maybe get some, you know, uh, some venture capital investment, and they'd change the nature of the brand and all those sorts of things. So maybe, yeah. I mean, it, it is a shame it's going, uh, but maybe she's bowing out now. She's done her job. I must admit, I have not been able to sell the little the little CNOC fourteen. Which uh, both because there's too many now. Yeah. No, I just can't. I can't bear to sell. Oh, it. you won't let it go. <laughs> I just it's sitting. I just can't. I can't bear to sell it because they learned on it, and I just stick it I, on. Honestly, I, I clean can't. it up. Clean it up. That goes on the wall. <laughs> I, it should go on the wall. Should go on it? the wall. Yeah, should go. On stick the wall. it on the wall. <laughs> that were, would look great. Were Isle bikes mainly a London thing, or were they popular around the country? Because as Loz said, they were quite pricey. Steve, that's a good point. I don't know. They, they sold online because you couldn't buy them in the shops. I don't know. They were based up I, I on think, uh, in Shropshire. I think, I think uh, they were around, I, but I mean, that's the point. They were, they, they are, they were pricey. It became, you know? I mean, it, you did see a lot around here. And um, I don't know is, is the honest answer, Stu. Uh, it, it, well, it must have been I, elsewhere too. But to yeah, probably. But I mean, I think it'd be interesting to know why they are closing down. You know, you presume it's to do with, with, with finances. But, you know, maybe this... Maybe this is like indicative of a, mu- a future model for cars because I've seen ad- adverts for this bike club, which is saying, you know, their message is never buy a, a kid's bike again. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Which I've seen on the tube. I've seen, you know, adverts for them. And maybe that is one of the reasons. Maybe that's having an impact in the market. You know, maybe ho- hopefully in 10, 20 years time, that's saying never buy a car again. I think it's a good idea. I think the bike though, it's a, it is a very personal thing. You kind of you do form well, we all like our bikes, it. yeah. But with kids' bikes, though, you do you you especially if you got you know two. They grab them so quick. They grab them so quick, then you got the hassle of selling them and storing them and whatever else. So maybe, maybe that model of actually you know not owning the kids' bike is actually not a problem. I bought Taluna a new bike as you know. She hardly ever uses it. Mm. She gets about on the bus and the tube and walks. I think I think kids of that age don't think about it, and and you know in a way all the stuff we've said about feeling safe on the roads it's it's not a natural thing for them to do because it's they get on the bus and, and the connected with connected connected city it's not so so much of a problem and the rise of, and the rise of actually renting bikes like yes which i don't think is i still don't think is a very it could be cheaper with all the blooming line bikes and stuff but all the kids seem to use them they don't pay for them do they, the line <laughs> they don't pay for them exactly <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, should we call it a day there, chaps? I, better, I need to go and, um, and fix a small bike to a, 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 wall, a wall somewhere. Decide which wall to do. Shall we call it a day there? Call it a day. Yeah, yeah. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.